Hey, Bayview Glen Church, Pastor Mark here, all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia. So glad to be joining you guys in Toronto, a city I love. I'm actually from Ajax, just outside of Toronto. So my peeps, uh, love you guys. Uh, we're doing the problem of Jesus for the next three weeks. So we're gonna be talking about the life and teachings of Jesus and what it has to do with our life in the modern world as we try to follow him. So again, so glad to be with you guys. And we're gonna start out in Mark chapter five. It's this very interesting story of a guy named Jairus his daughter's sick and he comes to Jesus. We're going to talk about what it has to do with our life. So start off Mark chapter five and we're going to start it in verse 22. It says this, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, meaning Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, here's the first thing I grab out of that. I'm not sure you and I in the modern world fall at the feet of God anymore. Like I'm talking about in a kind of like desperation. We, we almost like drink our lattes and like just kind of poke at the concept of God, the idea of God, but we don't go like, I am desperate. I am in need of God. I'm going to fall at his feet and I'm going to live my life in such a way that if he doesn't show up, things are going to go really bad for me. Like I'm going to risk some stuff and fall at the feet of Jesus and hope that he shows up. We've more kind of taken a domesticated, kind of safe, no risk involved version of Christianity applied it to our life. And that's what this text starts to push back against. It's almost like, um, I don't know if you guys like cats or not. I'm not a massive cat fan. But if you, if you look at like, uh, I was in Bali a few years ago and there's like, there's like undomesticated cats, right? There was actually one, our family was walking, my wife hates cats. We were walking along and this cat just started following us. Like a full on, like, like a, it was like a wild cat. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it just like does, and then went up there and peed in the bush or whatever it does. It's just wild. And then I see my buddy and he has this silly looking cat. He sits in his house and just looks at me as a, and he paws at the door and he goes over and he pees in the litter box over there. It's like, it's like that's the version of Christianity that we've adopted versus the wild one. We are become domesticated, safe people who are like, I don't even know what risk would look like in my life. I don't know what falling down at the feet of Jesus would even look like in a kind of desperation. So one of the things we've got to ask the question, are you living a life that's desperate for God? Are you falling down? Are you going, I'm going to take, like we started Village Church out in Vancouver uh, about 11 years ago. And we started with 16 people in my house and we just, and everyone said, this isn't going to work. Uh, and it's like, you know, you just got to, if you're going to plant a church in Canada, you just kind of got to get up and say, hey, everybody, I'm so glad you're here. You know, you have ideas. I have ideas. We all have ideas. Sorry. You know, as if that's going to kind of, because that's the Canadian mindset. They don't want to be like told that they're sinful and they need to repent and, you know, all of that. So I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So with these 16 people, uh, we just, you know, started talking about Jesus and, Every week, I just got up and preached the Bible verse by verse by verse by verse. It took a three and a half years to get through the gospel of Matthew. And every week I just say, you're not the hero of your own life. You are sinful. You're a wreck. But Jesus is the hero of your own life. And people started to go, oh my goodness, I'm offended. I'm going to go get my friend. All right. And they'd get their friend and they'd come to Jesus. And this crazy thing started to happen where people actually started to meet Jesus in Canada, y'all. And over the last 11 years, we've literally baptized almost 2,000 people. We baptized 42 people like a few weeks ago. That's during COVID. That was like us desperately going, I don't even know what we're doing. God, can you show up and do something? That's the desperation, the kind of fall. What we tend to do is we like, oh, I don't know about the concept. You know, I'm God's equal. 
I get to like put God on trial. That's kind of how our culture functions. Like, remember, remember that old worship song we used to sing? He gives and takes away. Remember that? Like, you know, that's a passage from Job that today we don't even sing that because it would mess with our theology. Like, not only that he gives, we tend to focus on he gives good stuff, but then we don't have a theology where he, Job's literally going, he also takes away and blessed be his name. It's like, sometimes it's during these, we, we just want to sing like he gives and gives some more. And we don't realize that God is sovereign even over the things when we're in the, in the moments of the squeeze, when we're in the fire. First Peter 1 says the reason we're in it is to conform us to the image of his son. That in the midst of those moments, we get to fall down flat in desperation in front of God and go, I need you to do something. I need you to show up. Because here's, here's, what, here's what I think. I think there's a generation, we're seeing deconversions, deconstruction, young people going, I don't want to believe in Jesus anymore. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I don't want to do any of these things. I think it's partly because of this. We treat God, we never fall, we never go, I'm not, he's equal, I'm under him. We go, oh, let me just have a conversation with him. And then there's all these things I don't like about him, so I'm gonna walk away from it. And we don't realize, man, that, that here's what this generation needs. And if you're watching this, if you're younger generation, whatever, it's like the thing that's going to keep you around because anybody can start following Jesus. The question is not who you are on the first day, it's who you are on the last day. Are you gonna get to the last day and still be faithful to him? Anybody can get married, right? I, I, I'm kind of sick of doing weddings almost because these like two beautiful people dressed up in their nice clothes are like, I love you, schmoopy. And the other one's like, I love you too, schmoopy. And you're like, yeah, just fast forward 40 years. Like anybody can start something. The question is, what is your marriage like on the last day? And the same thing's true about Christianity. It's like Jesus has called us to do a thing. And the hardest part about it is, is listen, this has been, here's what I think this generation, all of us needs, no matter what age stage we are. It's not just ideas about Christianity that we get to poke and judge. It's an experience of God. That's how, like young people don't need skinny jeans and more you know, fog uh, in, in the worship. They need an experience of God because once you've experienced him, it's very hard to turn back on him. Like I remember, like this has been one of the hardest years of ministry for anybody in ministry. As a pastor, I get emails where it's like, hey, you should get up and speak on this and you should speak out against that. And you should, you, the pastors all around the world just questioning their whole livelihood. I didn't get into this. I mean, it's fascinating how many people in my church, all of a sudden, our epidemiologists, all right, who are telling me, oh, this is what, how things work. I'm like, oh, oh, are you a scientist? Oh, you're not. Oh, okay. Then maybe quiet, all right? It's like, what are we doing? It's like, this has been a really tough year in ministry, and I've probably daydreamed about quitting more than any other year ever. But why would I stick around? Because I remember... You guys have Michael's Arts and Crafts store out there. I used to work at Michael's Arts and Crafts store for $6 an hour when I was 20 years old. And I still don't know what goes on in that store. I mean, people would ask me like, hey, where are the googly eyes? I'd be like, they're aisle five. I'd just be like, I have no idea what's in aisle five. I'm out. I'd just go out for a smoke or something. And then hopefully they were gone by the time I came back. I remember working on Michael's Arts and Crafts and I, was, I, I, I had gone away on a weekend and this, this friend of mine's father <clears throat> sat me down in a room and he said, the Holy Spirit has been telling me you're supposed to go into ministry. And I was a 19 year old kid. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm going into the film industry. This last thing I want to do is be a pastor. And he's like, no, no, no. He told me that you got to go do, you got to become a preacher. You gotta be, I'm like, no. Then I went away with another group of friends. 
who didn't know this guy, all three of them sat around and said, separate times, God told us you're supposed to go into ministry. Then I come back from that weekend. I'm sitting at Michael's Arts and Crafts putting reefs away or whatever in August or whatever's going on. And I just feel this palpable presence just break me. And I start to cry with my red apron on. And I'm like, what's going on? And it was a direct voice of Jesus kind of moment. I've had a few of them in my life. This is what you're supposed to do with your life. See, once you've experienced that, it's much harder to turn and walk away from him. Because I remember the call. And it was experiential. It wasn't just a cognitive idea. And this, this is what I think we all need We need to stop just thinking about God and actually lean into, I want to experience you. Like, I want to, I want to hear your voice. I want to, I want to, and and how do we get there? We fall down at his feet and we actually humble ourselves like Jairus is doing and going, I'm desperate for you. Because here's the thing that works against that, that we're all doing pretty good, right? We got food. We got a roof over our head. We got nice clothes. We got, and those things, remember if you've ever read uh, the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis talks about the idea that uh, there's a, a demon and he's assigned to like a new Christian. And he writes to the uncle demon and he says, I know what we should do. We should let this guy die in the bombings in London. And the older demon says, that's the dumbest idea of all because here's the thing. Here's the way we get him to walk away from the enemy, which in his vernacular is God. Let him grow old and and let him start to do well in life because in that moment, he will knit his soul to the world. He He will start, he will get a mortgage and he'll want to defend it and he'll get a reputation and he'll get the promotion and he'll get a bunch of money in the bank and then he won't even be able to hear him anymore. And he won't get to the end. Give him a long, prosperous life. Then he might actually get weaned off God because he's knit himself to the world. See, this is the danger. We don't come in desperation. It's what sociologists call the grave digger effect. We don't come in desperation because we've actually done ours so well. And we have to come to a place of absolute humility where we go, this ain't about me and my saving myself and my like I, you probably tell my face, I have to kind of tell people this the first time I speak because people are wondering whether I had too much caffeine. I uh, tweak my face around a bit because I have Tourette syndrome, an obsessive compulsive disorder. I, I, it happened when I was nine years old. My, my parents got divorced and, um, and uh, I started doing these random habits where I would just like swear like uncontrollably, like I just throw down an F-bomb, like just be sitting at a bus stop, be like, F, or like not the letter F, like, like the word, I'm saying that for you nice, fine <clears throat> Christian, Christian people, uh, F, you know, and it would be like, what? And I just randomly do that, like just swear words, right? This is what I was doing, and I tweak my face around. Now here, here's the goodness of God, guys. Uh, the one job you're never gonna get in your life when you randomly throw F-bombs around is a preacher, it's just not gonna work. It's like, how are you gonna even do church like this? See, this is, this is the beauty of the kind of humility it takes is that anything that God has done in my life through ministry and whatever, it's, it's not because of me, it's in spite of me. It's in those moments, 1 Corinthians 1, where he takes the foolish things of the world, right? That is the Greek word moron, right? So just so you know, if you're sitting at home with somebody right now and you're watching, just look at them and go, 
I'm a moron. All right. I'm a moron. Say it to everybody. You know, say it loud. Because God looks good when the moronic, foolish things of the world actually accomplish a thing because they know it's not because of them, but in spite of them. We got to get to a place in our life where we humble ourselves and go, I got to point away from me because the only way there's any power in my life, the only way that anything's good's ever happened is because God chose to do a thing through a broken wreck like me, a sinful person, a person who couldn't even, he's the power in it. That's Romans chapter one. The, the gospel is the power of God on the salvation. Believe that. It actually works. Every week we get up and we just preach the cross, preach the death, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in our place, died on a cross for our sin, taking the wrath of God on himself as a substitute, as a sacrifice, and then rose again for salvation. And if we repent of sin, if we give our life to him, if we trust in him, God saves us, empowers us with his spirit. And as simple as that message is, that's the thing that keeps profoundly changing people's lives. And we've gone from those 16 now to these thousands of people and these different sites across all these different cities in Canada, in Calgary and Winnipeg and Toronto, because what's happening? The spirit decided to blow and do a thing that was far bigger than anything we ever could have imagined. So here's this life. How does that happen? It's when we fall at his feet, that we're not the hero of our own story. You wonder why it takes so long to, 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 to get through sermons uh, by church sometimes, like it takes a while. It's because, you know, that part of this message was he fell at his feet. That was, it. that was all we got through right there. So I don't know how fast you wanna go, but here's the thing. You can't be the hero. Like you've gotta realize, I remember, uh, a few years ago, I was in Phoenix with my wife. We were walking through a mall and this guy came out of nowhere. I'll never forget it. And he stole a woman's purse right in front of me. Like literally it was 10 feet from me. A woman was walking. A guy just grabbed her purse and just ripped off through the mall. Like just took off. And everyone's got, and I always wondered to myself growing up, like when I'd be doing these stories in my brain about, you know, movies where I was like, you know, the diehard guy, like shooting everybody. I always wondered like, what would I do in a scenario like that? Where I saw a, a crime committed right in front of me, what would I actually do? It turns out I would do nothing. <laughs> All right, cause I just, <laughs> I just watched this guy run away and I went, whoo, I better get out of here. All right, so it's was like, you gotta understand that we ain't the hero, bro. <laughs> we ain't the hero ever, and we can't save ourselves from sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so if you're confused about that, this story is leading us to a place. Jesus is the one. And when we come to the end of ourself, when we come to a place, like, like literally there was a, uh, there was a girl uh, who got in touch with me recently and she said she was questioning her faith questioning Christianity and she went to a church down in Seattle and uh, she showed up and she'd been a few times but she was kind of starting to deny Christianity and she shows up and she walks into the service and she's in the worship auditorium and she's worshiping and she looks over and she sees this homeless guy sitting in the back pew and he's kind of 
twitching and clearly out of place. And she has this heart for like welcoming people like that. So she's like, I just feel like I need to go welcome this guy and make sure he's a part of this. And so she waited till that worship song was done. She goes, okay, I got to go over. And then another song went, she just kept looking and just looked, looked like completely off. And just, she's like, okay, I got to go welcome this guy. Make sure he feels welcome. I'll wait till the song's over. The song ends. And then she realized the worship section was over. And the pastor got up on stage and he introduced the speaker that week and it was the guy she was looking at. And guys, it was me. <laughs> I was the one sitting in the back pew, twitching around. It's like, what are we doing? What's happening? Why would God ever? Because I just think collectively, when I fall at his feet and go, just, I don't know, use me in whatever way, he shows up. Have you come to that place of absolute, guys, poverty of spirit where you don't try to shape the circumstances of your life like you're in the driver's seat anymore? That's how Jairus gets results. Falls at his feet. Okay, and then, and then it says this, uh, verse 23, and implored him, Jesus, earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with them. And obviously it's not a great thing to think about the fact that this happens. Um, but there's a beautiful thing about this. And it's that Jesus, I remember reading years ago, an article from a, from a writer I read and he was talking about how there was this bridge collapse uh, near his church and a bunch of people had died and he was putting his 11 year old daughter to bed at night. And she was like, you know, dad is God in control. And, and he was talking about the sovereignty of God and how a sparrow doesn't pass away without it being the father's will and how don't worry, honey. And her worry was to go away because the sovereignty and the providence of God and all of that. And, and then he had this line in it that always stuck with me and it haunted me. I got, I got three daughters, so you can pray for me. Uh, and this line always stuck with me as he said, I tell her this, then listen to this. I'd never heard it said like this before. Donami is always stuck in my brain. He said, I tell her this because one day she will die. And I thought, see, oftentimes we talk about the fact that we're gonna, you know, die one day, of course. But one day she will, this, this 11-year-old kid will face Jesus. Your kids, your kids, if you have them, will meet God one day and be judged based on the question of their life, not your faith. You know what your job is? Look at what, look what Jairus is trying to do. Jesus, I want you to come and heal my daughter. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to do something very important for those of you with, with kids. The purpose of your life is to make Jesus the hero of their life, not you. Because the temptation is to make you the hero of your kid's life or your spouse's life, whatever. I'm gonna be the hero. Don't do that. You gotta get your kid to love Jesus more than they love you because one day you will die. You will leave them without you. And you've gotta have them treasuring him more than anything else on the planet. And you've gotta understand that when those of you with little kids, when you're putting those little kids to bed and they say, are there monsters? The, the, the play is not to go, no, there's no thing as much as because we, of course we're gonna raise them to teach them that there's evil in the world that wants to, of course, derail them and tempt them. You get them to say, listen, there may be but you got to trust the monster slayer. His name is Jesus. See, that's what this guy is doing. 
He's trying to get his daughter to have Jesus as the hero of, please come and heal my daughter. Be the thing she treasures for the rest of her life more than anything. For those of you without kids, it's about the people around you making sure that they treasure Jesus more than anything. That's the mission of your life. It's never meant to stay individual. It's never meant to stay just you. It's meant to go out. Do you have a life where your neighbors and friends, and your heart actually bleeds for them? that they get Jesus in their life to heal their issues versus just sitting around talking about, did you get a new boat, Tom? I mean, how often I sit around and listen to people and what do, they, what do we spend 80%, 90% of our life talking about to each other? We sit around tables talking about this life. And the thing about Jesus is you gotta understand what he cares about is f- something far bigger than just this life. This is what Jairus is tapping into. I, Jesus, doesn't just care about your 80 years on this planet, guys. He cares about the 80 million after that. And the 80 million after that, and the 80 million after that. That's why he's constantly trying to get you to wean off. Like, I, I, this is... This, we live in a different time when it comes to kids now. Like I grew up in the 80s, man. I was like, I remember there was a time I was up in my cabin. I went down in the water, jumped in with my cousins and I went underneath the dock and I couldn't get out for a second. My cousins ran up to my parents and told them Mark's drowning. And I, they, my parents came running down to the water and I went up the other way. And so they're down there looking and I'm not there. And then I realized, oh, they're all down there. So I ran down and they're coming back up. Now here's the crazy thing. It was only like three minutes later. I mean, these people had just given up. It's just like, oh, looking around a little bit. No one was even wet. I mean, this was the eighties. It was crazy. It was like, ah, I guess he's gone. Let's go. Like this is helicopter parenting is what we do now, which is where we make sure the kid's got bubble wrap around him at any time he goes there. You know, it's like, here's Jesus on his way to take care of the children. And in a sense, the heart that he's trying to put in all of us is, no matter who it is, kids, no kids, whatever, how do we actually get people to love and cherish him above all things? My kids can't, my, my, my kids, they, they're spoiled. I mean, they don't even know what they don't know. They don't know, they, they, Mike is like, daddy, tell us stories about the old days. I'm like, what old, what old days? Tell us that one where you had to go to the movie store. Ah, you got to go in. You got to like choose a video. Hey, do you want to watch this? Ah, like, daddy, tell us that one. They, they don't even know anything. And there's this beauty in what Jesus is trying to do. He's going, no matter what age or stage, am I the hero of your life? Or are you attaching yourself to the things of the world? Now, look at this. Here's the big pivot now. He's on his way to heal this sick girl. Verse 24, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garment, I'll be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This beautiful 
caring thing about Jesus, those of you wondering, how do I get out of this addiction? How do I get out of this life? How do I get out of this, this pattern of existence that I've had in my life? You gotta understand, like when I became a Christian, I was 18 years old. I didn't grow up in the church. And when I finally became a Christian, people looked at me, my, people that I knew, and they were like, hey, you've been brainwashed, right? And it's like, what do you mean brainwashed? And they're like, you've been, you're brainwashing. You, you've been brainwashing. You think different. You live different. I'm like, guys, if you knew what was in my brain, you would know it needed washing. And then I began to realize, no, it was, it was a world of brainwashing I'd come out of. See, we live in a world that wants to constantly preach at you and tell you there's only this life. So define life this way or naturalism or define sexuality this way or define money this way or define reputation this way or whatever. And I came out of that life and I didn't know what I didn't know. Some of you right now, you don't even know what you need to be saved from. I mean, she's acutely aware because it's this felt need thing that she has in her life. Again, coming to the end of ourselves, there's two things William Barclay says that Christianity does. It reveals God and it reveals ourselves. And some of you, we, we haven't come to a place in our life where we've said, I'm actually in need of Jesus. We haven't come to that desperate place yet. And this story's going, would you? It's an invitation. Would you actually come to that place in your life where you realize you actually need a, a new life? That when you get it, you're gonna look back at the life you came from and you're gonna see it more clearly than you could ever imagine. And so he says, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd around you? He looked to those who had done it, but the woman knowing what had happened to her came into fear and trembling, fell down before him again and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was speaking, there came, see, uh, uh, can I remember Jairus is trying to get Jesus to go heal his daughter. And this woman comes and now Jesus is dealing with her. And Jairus like, guy, question from the rear. We gotta go. And here's the beautiful thing about this that I, wa I want you to hear. Why is Jesus doing this? This is what my old uh, theology professor used to call the three mile an hour God, right? The, 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 the God who just moves too slow. He always does stuff not in the way we want. I got a daughter who's sick, let's go. And you're out talking to this 40 year old woman with a blood problem. Can we stay on point? Why does Jesus do this? because he's trying to make Jairus into the kind of person he's going to need him to be. You know what the will of God is for our life? That we, Romans 8 says this. I know we play along with the will of God. We're always trying to figure out what is the will of God, right? Like, hey, who am I supposed to marry? What's her name? And we're like looking in our alphabet soup for like, oh, it's an S. It must mean I'm supposed to marry Sarah or whatever. Like this is kind of how we, we think God's some ball that we can like call up and tell me your will for my life. Romans 8 says, I'll tell you what the will of God is for your life. To be conformed to the image of my son. And sometimes that means interruption. This year has been nothing but interruption. Is this the year you planned? Is this how you planned 2020 and 2021 so far? Is that, it's like, I had plans. We did too, as a church. And then COVID hit and we had to go, we went online. And you know what happened online? People started to meet Jesus almost faster than in physical locations. We never would have done that unless our life got interrupted. Because you, 
For those of you who are exploring Christianity, here's one thing you got to know. Jesus isn't offering, you know, we, we tend to, one of the fastest moving parts of Christianity around the world is the, called the prosperity gospel, where people go and they say, hey, you accept Jesus and all these great things are going to happen in your life. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy. Everything's going to go great. And then we actually read the New Testament and you realize, I, I remember saying to my church uh, a couple of years ago, I was flying to Australia and I don't love flying on a good day, uh, but I was flying to Australia at 1030 at night. And I was preaching that morning and I looked to my church and I said, listen, the gospel, I mean, from Vancouver, it's 16 hours over water. So usually when I fly, I'm like, okay, if something goes wrong, an engine blows, we'll just put it right down in that farmer's field because we're in the middle of Saskatchewan or whatever. It, going from Vancouver to, to, uh, to Australia, uh, yeah, it's 16 hours, nothing but water. There's nowhere to put it down. You're done. All right, something goes wrong. So I said to my church, I said, listen, 1030 tonight, I'm going to take a plane from here to Melbourne. And the reality is this, the gospel does not promise me that I'm not going to die on my way there today. All right, that's what some of you got to understand. The gospel doesn't promise you that. What it promises is that I'm safe in dying. That's the shift that needs to take place in all of our minds that when we start to follow a man who was crucified, we start to realize that may be the shape of our life. You felt that, the squeeze, the fire, conforming you into something you never would have chosen for yourself. You know why? Because I think Jesus is trying to wean us off the distractions of the modern world. Go back to knitting your soul. He's trying to, you know what the, you know what? You know what the biggest enemy for you is right now? It's not socialism or communism or capitalism or ismism. -ism. It's not the thing on social media and the guy on Twitter and the system. It's not. You know what your, the thing that will corrode your soul, the enemy of your soul the most right now, that Satan is perfectly happy that you don't know about? It's distraction. It's that thing in your left pocket where you just scroll mundanely and become a non-contributing zero. Jesus wants to save you from that mundane life. And without Jairus having a sick daughter and without Jairus going and pleading and without Jairus being interrupted by this other woman, he ain't becoming that man. The distraction is the story, the interruption. That's the story. That's the cruciform pattern being stitched into our very lives. This is why I love Christianity, guys, because it saves us. Listen, it saves us from ourself. We did a, a series as a church um, through Psalm 23, you know, the famous shepherd's, shepherd's psalm. And in that Psalm, of course, talks about the idea of the, the sheep, uh, the Lord anoints the oil, uh, anoints the head with oil. And uh, we don't really know what to do with that because we think, I don't know, it just sounds like I'm gonna have to take a shower, I guess. I'm all oily, I don't know what to do with that. God covers my head in oil, great. But I went and read this uh, writer who was a... Uh, he was a shepherd for 30 years in the Middle East. And he writes a whole commentary on Psalm 23. 
And he talks about how what would happen is the, the sheep would have these like uh, bugs and insects lay eggs in their head and they would start to hatch and it would be so itchy that they would do anything to try to get these off. So they would go and they would bang their head against rocks in order to get these larvae out of their head. And they would kill themselves, trying to feel better in that moment. And I remember looking at Village Church and saying, that's so many of you. You're, you're doing the thing that feels good in the moment to relieve yourself of a thing. And the thing you're doing to relieve yourself of that thing is killing you. Emotionally, so, uh, socially, physically, spiritually. Because it's, you're doing something that in the end, you need God to save you from. Nothing will save you. Nothing will give you the joy, the purpose, the meaning that you're looking for right now. Nothing will bring it. You're, some of you are looking to beauty and saying, if I could just be more beautiful, I'll be happy. If I can get more Instagram followers, I'll be happy. If, if I could get a promotion, if I could become successful, if I could be smarter, I, I'd be more, if I could get a new spouse, if I could get better kids. And all those things are crushing you because they're the wrong thing. Jesus is going, hey, I'm walking, I'm doing a thing right now. Are you with it? Because all of us in the end, here, here's, here's the two ways we're all trying to find meaning and purpose and joy in our life. Because joy is the greatest motivating factor of your life, right? That's the reason you choose the, the, the spouse you married, the clothes you're wearing right now. Look down at yourself, assuming you're maybe not in discussing PJs right now. You look down at yourself, you're like, I chose these clothes, I choose this food, I choose the music. It's all based on your pleasure, and Jesus comes along and goes, no, no, I'll give you a pleasure that's so much deeper because it transcends all the things that if you define your pleasure by this and then that gets taken away, you lose the joy that was attached to it. But I can give you a joy that transcends any of that, which is why in the story, he looks in verse 34 and he says, daughter, which I love because there's a great irony. When does Jesus like start calling adult women daughter? When's that happen? might be when Jairus is listening and he's got a daughter who needs to be healed. And all of a sudden, Jesus gives this little wink, wink, even though he's talking to a 40-year-old woman, daughter, I heal the daughters. In the ways though, not just physically, listen to this, your faith has made you well. Your faith in Jesus is what makes you well. Not just in, listen, here's the important part for both. He goes on to heal the daughter. But for that daughter who gets healed, which he declares beautiful faith to, and this woman who gets healed, here's the thing we tend not to think about. Both of those girls went on to die again. Right, they're not walking around the world right now. You can't like go meet Jairus' daughter and be like, how was it meeting Jesus? Like she died at some point, became 80 years old or whatever, she died. But she became alive in the only way that mattered. Eternal life 
that transcended the physical life that we have. Naturalism, secularism, atheism is gonna preach to you a story where this is the only life you've got. So step on anyone's neck who you need to to get ahead, to get everything you can right now because this is it. And Jesus goes, "Um, I got a way bigger story than that, guys. Defined by whether or not you had faith in me and my finished work or whether you tried to do it on your own and trust all those other things. Because in the end, you're gonna stand before God as judge, every single one of us. And there's gonna be one of two options that you have. You can either say, God, here's my record. Here's, my, here's the things I've done. Here's my performance for you. Judge me based on this performance. Or you can say, here's Jesus' record. Here's Jesus' performance on the cross and in the resurrection. Please judge me on that. That's what faith, saving faith is. In the end, are you someone who's trusted in Jesus or are you gonna put your own record because I find no hope in the first option? So Father, I just pray that this beautiful story about Jesus saving would impact our lives, that we would recognize where we need to come to you out of desperation and understanding that we can't save ourselves. We are sinful. We are in need of a savior and that you, amongst all the options in the marketplace of ideas, in all the options that we get pitched every day of religion, non-religion, you, Jesus, cut through all of them and call us to a faith that will define our life for this life and everlasting forever. I pray you would just supernaturally work in the lives of people watching this, that they would give their life to you if they don't know you and if they do know you, that they would move from just trusting you as Lord and Savior and they would begin to grasp you as treasure. Do those miracles, Lord, among us. In Jesus' great name, amen. Guys, thank you again for having me be part of your church. God bless you guys.